We're cooking up something special on today's episode of Love Someone. Those of you who know me or have listened to my radio program for any length of time probably would not be surprised to hear that a very large portion of my waking hours are spent in a single room of my house. And it's not the recording studio. It's in my kitchen. I know it's an important room in everyone's home, but mine has probably seen more action than most because I have been parenting and feeding a large family since I was in my early 20s. Turns out all these kids and grandkids and foster kids I've been raising for close to 40 years now have to eat. Go figure. And they want a minimum of three or four meals a day. My brain would actually explode if I ever tried to figure out the number of meals I've prepared and set before my hungry brood. I've picked up more than a few skills with some nifty tricks. I've experimented with a large variety of foods and flavors, and I've created a long list of personal and family favorites along the way. And I've loved every minute of it because to me, food is love. I immerse myself in the experience of it all. I grow my own fruits and vegetables. I live on a 55-acre farm, and I've got acres of gardens. I raise my own chickens. We raise our own eggs from those chickens. My husband is an organic beef farmer. We raise all of our own meats. I can. I freeze. And it's all a labor of love. Here with me today is a man who feels the same way about food. He's dedicated his life to the art of food, the community it creates, and the love it envelops his recipients in. He was born in France near Lyon in 1935. He helped his parents in their restaurant. His mother has a restaurant until beginning an apprenticeship at the prestigious Grand Hotel at the Tender Age of 13. At 13, he was a full-time apprentice in the kitchen at the Grand Hotel. He went on to serve as chef for three French heads of state, including Charles de Gaulle, all before moving to the United States in 1959 at the age of 24. Any guesses who I'm stirring things up with today? None other than the renowned and much beloved Chef Jacques Pepin, who you may know from his 1980s TV program, Julia and Jacques, cooking at home with his longtime friend, Julia Child. Or you may have recently made his acquaintance like I did when he started publishing short, fun cooking videos on Facebook during the pandemic. However you came to know Jacques, or if today is your first introduction, you, my friend, are in for a delightful feast. We'll get to the full meal deal right after I dish on one of the sponsors that make this podcast possible. Hi, it's Delilah. If you have been listening to my voice on the radio for years, then you know that I have been around on the radio for years. Off the radio, I'm taking care of my kids, taking care of my dogs, riding my horses, growing plants in my gardens. And you know what? It hurts. It does. My hands hurt. My back hurts. My knees hurt. But when I started taking Omega XL, I noticed a difference within the first month. 
Omega XL, when taken every day, gives me relief in my hands and my joints like nothing else. If you suffer from pain associated with inflammation, I urge you to try Omega XL. When you try Omega XL, you will see a difference in the quality of your life. You'll see a difference in your joints. I even see a difference in the way my skin feels and the way my hair grows. I kid you not, my hair grows more rapidly when I take my Omega XL every day. In fact, if I forget to take my Omega XL for a few weeks, Oh boy, do I notice a difference. OmegaXL.com forward slash love to place your order and to discover all the wonderful goodness of Omega XL. Well, I'm glad you're on Zoom with us today. And right before uh, we, we were able to get together, I was doing a deep dive into your foundation and I had to dry my eyes because I was crying looking at all the lives that are being transformed by the community kitchens that already existed, but now you've come along to partner with them and you're doing tremendous work to transform the lives of so many people. Can you tell us a little bit more? I know you said it's your son-in-law that's behind that, but yes, it is my son-in-law who created the Jacques Pepin foundation, but you know, I have been on PBS over 35 years. So we have access to an enormous amount of uh, video of technique and I've done over 30 books. So all of that material, he decided to use it. And I think we spoke about it a few years ago and he told me, who would you like to teach really? I said, you know, like people coming out of jail, people like this who have had problems in life and not young, necessarily young people, but 30, 40, 50 years old. So that's what he created the foundation for. So we work a lot with community kitchen, with people, as I say, coming out of jail or from a drug addict or or homeless people, veteran people like this. So it's pretty it's pretty rewarding. I mean, to show them just a simple basic technique of cooking so they can reintegrate uh, a life and start doing themselves you know, good and uh, and feel good about themselves. You know? So, so uh, my son-in-law had done a great, great job with that. And in addition to that, in the last two years, because of the pandemic, he had asked Chef to do a video for us to be used on a video and volume book. And it has been amazing. We did three series have been removed. The first series, we had people like, uh, you know, Thomas Keller, Richard Ray, uh, Martha Stewart, uh, Jose Andres, uh, I mean, you name it, 40. Then we got 40 more, and then we got 40 more now. Wow. So from Gianna De Laurentiis to uh, Isaac Misrahi, <laughs> people like this, you know, who are doing those videos for us, you know, to be able to uh, to uh, raise uh, some money. And uh, uh, you can give those as a gift, you know, to be part of the foundation like that. I think it's $40 or something like that. For a membership. Wait, 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 back up. $40 for a membership and you get videos? All of those videos from that three series that he did. So if you go on the Jacques Pepin Foundation, so it's uh, explain all of that, yes. As soon as we're finished with the podcast, I'm going on your, fa- well, I was already on your foundation, but I'm going to sign up. I'm going to pay the membership fee because okay. that sounds fascinating. So you did, you had 
different chefs submit the videos and you say each series has 40 in it? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So we did three series. There is, and actually on March 1st, we're releasing another mini series of other chefs again. So uh, you could also talk to my son-in-law. You know, he teaches at Johnson & Well. Uh, I'm very proud of him because he had been a chef for 35 years. But uh, when he started teaching at BU, at what uh, well, he teach at BU as well, but at Johnson & Well, he decided to go back to school, eventually did his master and did a PhD a few years ago in education. So he's not only a great chef, but uh, he's a very good educator. And I could never have done what he's done with the foundation and the organization and all that. He's very good at that. It sounds like your daughter chose well. She did. Okay. (laughs) And you have a granddaughter. How old is your granddaughter? Well, my granddaughter is uh, starting at BU. I've been teaching at BU for 37 years. Uh, my son-in-law occasionally teaches there. Claudine, my daughter, was in her mid-50s, was at BU too. So now, uh, Shari, that's her name, is starting at BU in the spring. So there is a certain legacy there. And she's been doing show with me since she was about six, seven years old. And actually, we did a book together called Grandfather's Lesson, uh, a little book with some video that we did when she was about uh, 12 or 13. Now she's turning 18, so... And I, I saw some of the, the videos when she was younger with you. She is darling. Absolutely yeah, darling. Right. Are you a little bit proud there, Grandpa? Yes. <laughs> I'm not a chef, but I love to cook. And Good. I don't really know where I got that from because our mom, I mean, she cooked dinner every night, but it was pretty simple. Like I, my, our dad didn't like a lot of spice. Well, simple is good. Um, so he was a meat and potatoes kind of guy. But my grandparents had a farm. My mom's folks had a farm and they raised their own beef. They fished in the river. Yeah. Their their house was literally about maybe 10 or 12 feet off the river, maybe 20 feet. I don't know. But they would catch fish every day. I mean, my grandpa fished every single day after he was retired. So I was raised eating really healthy delicious, wonderful food that they raised. So as soon as I was in a position in life to buy some dirt, I bought dirt (laughs) Uh, so that I could raise my own food. And it's a lot of work. And every year I say, just like my grandparents, I'm not going to put it in a garden as big this year because nobody eats it and I can't get the grandkids to come and take any of the corn home. And every year somehow the garden gets bigger. Well, my age, it gets smaller, frankly, because I've been gardening all my life. But I think it's very important. When my granddaughter was uh, uh, three, four years old, she came. She helped me cook. When I put a stool next to me, I said, give me the salad. Give me that. Do you think that's clean enough? Do you think that? And I said, okay, let's go get some parsley in the garden. So we go to the garden. And I said, okay, this is, no, that's chive. Test it. No, that's tarragon. No, that's parsley. So, take, so come back into the kitchen. And uh, help me. And then I take her to the market. I said, okay, I need tomato or I need pear. Make sure they are ripe. Did you smell them? Do you think they are ripe? So, you know, it's very important to get the kid with you uh, doing that type. And that conversation for me is a, in a background, you know, to, to other type of conversation. Not only in the kitchen, but then after, of course, you sit down, you eat. That's the best part of it. And that brings some other conversation. So for us, the kitchen are already very important. 
when including my daughter with a year and a half, I hold her in my arm, I, I made her stir the pot. And she stirred the pot so she could made it. So, so she was going to eat it because she made it. So, you know, it's very important, certainly in our family structure, to have uh, children involved. And there is no better place for me when you come out of school to sit down in the kitchen, to hear the voice of your, of your mother, of your father, the smell of the kitchen, the cling of the instrument. And of course, the food, those, those memories stay with you the rest of your life. Those tastes will stay with you the rest of your life. This is very important for us. I loved when you said you had her smell the, the tomatoes and the pears. I, I recently read that yeah. the sense of smell brings up more memories than our other senses. That when you smell something, when you smell parsley, when you smell a ripe tomato, it instantly can transport you to another place in time. That's very good that you say that because uh, the affective memory, I don't know, Proust, Marcel Proust, who wrote, you know, uh, uh, Remembering a Thing Past, he talks about a part of his life where he was in Paris uh, at the end of the 19th century, and he went there for tea, and he got that cup of tea, and there was some little madeleine, you know, that was given to him, and he dipped that madeleine in the tea, and all of a sudden he was five years old in the garden of his parents, along the, in Normandy, you know, and all of a sudden that taste, he tried to remember about it, and it bring back the kitchen of his grandmother, and then eventually the whole little town came out of his cup of tea, as he said. And this is what he called the affective memory, that is the memory of the senses, as opposed to the memory of the brain. Memory of the brain, you try to remember, where was I in 1985? The brain can go, but the memory of the senses, the smell, the taste, the eye, the hearing. I walk in the wood with my dog uh, to pick up mushroom. I do that in, in summer. And uh, I'm not thinking about anything in particular. And all of a sudden, I smell those mushrooms. And I'm six years old going mushrooming with my father and my brother. This is very immediate. The affective memory are very powerful because they are very immediate right there now. And they bring back memory much better than the, the brain in a different way. When I was really young, my parents lived on a farm. They didn't own it, but they rented it. And the people that owned it had cows, milk cows. And I would go with mom because mom helped milk the cows in the morning. I would go with her every morning. And I had this little lantern, this little brass lantern. I don't know where I got it, but we would go down to the barn. And the smell of the milk, the fresh, warm milk, and the smell of the barn and the smell of the cows and the hay. It sounds crazy, but when I walk into my barn, I immediately transported back with my mom. And and like you said, it's it's so quick and it's so yeah. complete. It's the whole picture. You know, I don't just I don't just see the cow that she was milking. I'm there in the barn and I see the cement floor and and the way we cleaned it afterwards, and such good memories, such happy times. Yeah. I have a book called The Apprentice, which is a cook's memoir that I did. And uh, I also that PBS did an American master on me called The Art of Craft. And they show exactly what you're showing there. I said in that thing, when I was about six during the war in front of the Second World War, 
I went to a farm during the summer because we didn't have anything to eat. So my mother put me in that farm, my brother went to another farm. And, you know, I was like six years old. My mother came with her bicycle, took me there and then left. And I was pretty sad. And the farmer's wife took me by the hand and took me to the barn. That was the first time I got that close to a cow. And she put my hand on the tits of the cow and made me milk the cow. And that's where I had my first glass of, you know, uh, foaming milk coming right out of the... And maybe that's what I'm a chef. Maybe that changed my life, you know. So, yes, those, those were very important things. I think it's sad that so many kids today don't know where tomatoes come from. They don't know where milk comes from. I know. You could never... You know, a musket now, a chicken is rectangular uh, and it doesn't have any feet, doesn't have any head. It's just rectangular in a thing. That's what a chicken is. So, you know, uh, uh, I know how to kill a chicken or a rabbit. I've done that all my life. Know that I enjoy it, but, you know, this is part of the farm, part of knowing where the food comes from and so forth. And a great deal of kids are, you know, never, never knew about that, you know, and that's, that's a shame. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I read that one of the things that you did when you came to America was that you helped develop the menu for a pretty famous chain of restaurants. Yeah, for Howard Johnson, yes. <laughs> I think yes. that's wonderful. Well, I uh, work at the Pavillon uh, for the French restaurant in New York when I first came in 1959. And... Uh, uh, in 1960, actually, when Kennedy was running for president, I was offered a job at the White House, or I was offered a job at Howard Johnson. I went to Howard Johnson. <laughs> and to, 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 validate, to validate this, I had been the chef of the president in France before. You know, so, and I had done that. But at that time, you have to realize that the cook was really at the bottom of the social scale. And, uh, you know, no one will have called you for kudo. Or, or I'd never had an article on a newspaper, magazine, uh, television barely existed. When I worked with De Gaulle in France, the French president I was with, I served people like Eisenhower, Nehru, Tito, those were the head of state. No, ever, anyone have ever called you for the dining room for kudo or calling you. If anyone come to the kitchen, it was because something was wrong. They were going to complain. I'm saying that to say that when I was invited to go to the White House, I had no idea of the potential because at that time the cook was really very low on the social scale. So that's the way it was. So when I was asked for that job, 
and asked to go to Howard Johnson. Howard Johnson, for me, was totally, totally American, totally different, uh, and uh, mass production, marketing, chemistry of food. Any of this, I didn't know anything about. I worked for Howard Johnson for 10 years, from 1960 to 1970. In 1970, I opened a restaurant on Fifth Avenue in New York called La Potagerie. It was volume soup and all that with fresh croissant too. Then I opened the World Trade Center in New York. Then I was a consultant at the Russian Tea Room. I'm saying that only to say that I could never have done any of those jobs as my training as a French chef if I hadn't had the training of Howard Johnson. So Howard Johnson was very uh, important in my life. And he was a great guy too. He came to my wedding. He came to the christening of my daughter. Wow. Well, I love the food at Howard Johnson's. I don't know how far they've strayed from what you put into place all those years ago, but I still love their food. There was one right across from the radio station that I worked at about 25 years ago. And so we ordered dinner from there probably four out of five nights of the week. (laughs) Yeah, to have the fried clam and the triple burger, so forth, yes. Very fun. So of all the, the experiences you've had, when you close your eyes, where is your happiest place? Because my affection for you and my fascination has nothing to do with food. Mine okay. has to do with your artwork. Oh, yes? I love your whimsical paintings. I love them. I went online well, after I discovered how talented you are going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, I want a chicken. I want to buy a chicken. Oh, yeah. well, it's interesting. I have a book coming uh, this year of chicken. And uh, I have, I think, about a hundred... 130 illustration of chicken. So I wanted to do that book. I have 31 cookbook. So I didn't want to do recipe. And they say, well, we want to do the book, but we want recipe. I said, I don't want to do recipe. So finally I did, as I say, I have that book called The Apprentice, which is the story of my life, just story when I was a kid and so forth. So I did the same thing. So story of chicken, uh, from what I ate in China to what I say of the president, eggs, chicken, with the illustration. So that book is coming out this year sometime. We're finishing it now. In fact, now we have a, I have a, a big show of my painting at the Stanford Museum in Connecticut here. Uh, I have 70 paintings, which have been hanging for, for a month there. Uh, so uh, I am doing more Again, it's a friend of mine who did the outside. I would never be able to do it. So uh, I, um, you know, I've been very uh, lucky uh, now in my life. Not only do I paint, but uh, do I cook, but I paint. And, uh, and there is great similarity for me in those. I am always drawing, always painting. I paint on any surface I can find. I don't oh, okay. just paint on canvases. I like to paint on walls. I like to paint on furniture. I like to paint on cars. I just love to paint. I love to embellish. I don't just paint. I I glue stuff on and I use found objects in my art and I like sparkly things. Um, but when I saw your chickens, they're so whimsical. And because I raise chickens, I love their personalities. People don't realize this, but chickens have really strong personalities sometimes. Yes. I come from a part of France, which have the greatest chicken in France. It's known. The chicken, the poulet de Bresse, B-R-E-S-S-E. And if you go to any of the three-star great restaurants, 
even imported in this country, the chicken of bus, uh, the great, they are beautifully white with a red cup, of course, a red comb and the blue feet. So they have the color of the French flag, bleu, blanc, rouge, you know. So uh, uh, those chickens are quite well known in France. And of course, when I was a kid, we raised those chickens. Well, I I usually raise chickens that I like to look at. <laughs> I mean, uh, we we do butcher occasionally, but usually we just collect the eggs because I have a lot of kids, and we go through at least one or two dozen eggs a day. So we raise yes. our chickens for eggs. But I hatch the chicks a lot of times. I have an incubator, but I like I just like the ones that I like to look at. <laughs> Because I love to look at them. And the little bantams. The Rhode little, Island Red. The Rhode Island Red is a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> bird. And uh, But the, my favorite are the Featherfoot Bantams. Oh. The little bantams that have the feather. They yeah, look like yeah, Elvis yeah, Presley yeah. with the feather feet. And their personalities are so strong and so fun. You know, they think they're as big as a Rhode Island Red. And I raise them just for the pleasure of looking at them and drawing them and painting them. But your chickens are much more whimsical and joyful. Your joy comes through your paintings. I was saying that my friend, Pierre Franet, was the executive chef at the Pavilion many years ago. And I remember that years and years ago, I was in uh, Chinatown in New York. And I was buying and Pierre was going to come for dinner. And all of a sudden... I go into a store and I see those black chicken. I mean, black skin, black, totally black. The skin is black. The flesh is black. I said, I've never seen that. It's a type of, so I bought it to roast it for my friend. I roast it and uh, I did it on purpose when he came. So I pulled the chicken out to baste it too. And he looked at me and said, what is that? I said, it's a chicken. I said, yeah, it's, a bit, it's all black. I say, yeah, but I don't know what happened. I had a regular chicken. I put it in the office. <laughs> so those are, those are, you know, I don't know if you know that, but this is a, a type of chicken that you find in, the, in Chinatown. They are very fluffy, beautiful, fluffy, white with, with, uh, with blue, blue eye, I think. And, uh, and they are, uh, uh, gee, I forget the name now. Anyway, so, but you can But find the meat is black as well? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Skin is black, and they are small chicken, so they are fun. Very fun. What a fun trick to pull on your friend. Right. (laughs) Oh, I hope you're enjoying our menu today. Let me tell you about another sponsor that helped to set the table. Everyone has the power to change the world. Mercy Ships is an organization dedicated to that mission and is sustained entirely by the generosity of volunteers and donors like me and you. They're an organization comprised of floating hospitals staffed with physicians, surgeons, medical personnel, and hundreds of other volunteer positions from administration to galley cooks, traveling to some of the poorest countries in the world to provide free life-changing surgeries. They make the world a profoundly better place. You can visit them at mercyships.org to see how you can be a part of all that Mercy Ships does. Give, go, or pray. There are so many ways you can help Mercy Ships help others. Give, go, or pray. That's mercyships.org. mercyships.org. 
So what's your favorite meal of the day to cook and to share? Do you have a favorite? The favorite di- uh, the meal for me is, uh, is dinner. You know, I don't really have breakfast. I have coffee too, but I'm not. Uh, lunch is uh, pretty light usually, but I like to sit down for dinner. I mean, for uh, many, many years, you know, share a bottle of wine with my wife. We sit down at night and have dinner. So, yeah, dinner is uh, the end of the day. I mean, where things are put together. And even when Claudine, my daughter, was small, you know, a, a dinner at the house was always, uh, you know, something which was very important at the end of the day, you know, to share the table together and to talk and to to share the wine and the food. A lot of people have talked about all the calamity that has come with the COVID and with the shutdown. But I have to tell you, Jock, one of the greatest gifts that I have enjoyed in my life was the COVID shutdown because it slowed us down. And for the first time in years, dinner became a thing again in our family. I mean, I was raised where we had dinner as a family every night together. You did you didn't miss dinner unless it was a you know something pretty important. But I had gotten away from that with my kids because they had sports and they had this and they had that and I had work and I'm on the air late and blah 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 and blah blah blah. So I would cook dinner. I would cook a big meal and then I go to my studio and the family would eat, but not like a sit down enjoy each other's company. It was well, you know, mom made this or that. So. The COVID shutdown was a huge gift in that we started having family meals together. And then the yeah. kids, I made the kids cook. I had them not just join me in the kitchen, but I'm like, okay, you're responsible for dinner tomorrow night. Right. I'm here yeah, for questions. And oh yeah. my gosh, what a gift. Yeah, to set up the table, to do the dishes, to, I mean, that whole that family operation, that's very, very important. And the pandemic probably put a lot of people, cause a lot of divorce, I'm sure, but put a lot of people <laughs> together too. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, without any question. And that's why at the beginning of the pandemic, Claudine, my daughter asked me, why don't you do a little show of like three, four, five minutes for people with what you have in your refrigerator or in the pantry or in the freezer? I say, okay. And then we've done 220 of those with my friend, uh, uh, Tom Hopkins, Tom Hopkins, He's a photographer. He's done my book for over 30 years. He's also the one who does the outside here for me. And uh, so there were only the two of us in the kitchen. We started at the pandemic. I did the cooking and the dishes. And he came there, he did a fixed camera. And with his telephone, he did the close-up. So we are two people in the kitchen. And we do a day, we do about 10 or 12 a day when we do it uh, on those, those small shows of like five minutes. So it's been uh, it's been pretty rewarding too. And my daughter wanted to put that on Facebook. We started a couple of years ago. I think we had like three hundred thousand people on Facebook, and now we are close to two million. So that's crazy. Well, that that's that's how I was introduced to you. We started sharing your videos on my Facebook, oh, and my good. audience thank you loves you. Loves yeah. you. So I was so thrilled when I was told I was going to get to share this time with you. And like I said, after I discovered you, I, I did a deep dive into your artwork. And uh, I feel like, you know, a kindred soul in our love for painting chickens. And if you came to my house, <laughs> I have collected antique chickens my entire adult life. Oh, yeah. 
And every now and then I'll purge. I'm like, okay, I've got enough knickknacks. I don't need more stuff. And then I'm like, why did I let go of that antique chicken? I loved it so much. My house is built. It's kind of a big square. And the, the kitchen and family room are together. And it's really the only room of the house we're ever in. You know, we go to bed in our bedrooms, but we're in the kitchen 24-7, and all the artwork are chickens. Yeah, but I have, I'm in the kitchen too, you know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've done pretty well by that, but I, I, need yeah. to, I need to find my way to one of your paintings because I just love them. Oh, yeah, you should go on the outside, Jack Pepper outside, and you'll see a series of whatever. So, yes, it's very kind of you to invite me on your show. And, you know, I've been, I've been painting uh, for over 50 years, but I've been in the kitchen. When I left home in 1949 to go into apprenticeship, I was 13 years old at that time. You know, so uh, my mother had a restaurant in France. My father was a cabinet maker. But I count 12 restaurants in my family in France, and 12 of them run by women. You know, cousin, uh, aunt, my mother, and so forth. I was actually the first male to go into that business. So, uh, yes, so I'm, I've always been very influenced by uh, the cooking of women. I mean, my mother, too. And, yeah, you know, I was friends with Julia Child for over 50 years with each show together, you know, series. So, uh, yes, certainly uh, that's been an important part of my life. Well, thank you for sharing your life with us. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your foundation. If anybody wants to find out about Jacques Pippin's foundation, jp.foundation, right? Yes. The videos and the testimonies of students who have come out of addiction, come out of prison, come out of unfortunate situations, or just been denied access. So many people have been denied access to opportunities and your foundation working with community kitchens and with education programs are providing wonderful, wonderful, life-changing, transformative opportunities. And one thing I just heard is there are 700,000 people short in the food industry today. Absolutely, yes. And we really need need people like that, just first-entry cook, you know. And now, fortunately, the the salary is changing and raising. Uh, so, you know, you, you can start going in the kitchen for 20 bucks an hour or two, which wasn't this way even three, four, five years ago. So, and we need people like that. And, you know, in the kitchen, I always say, I mean, my motto is that in the eye of the stove, we're all equal in the eye of the stove. So uh, it really doesn't matter who you are, whether you're male, female, black, white, or whatever. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. At 12 o'clock, you have 100 people sitting down. You got to move, move, that move. So, you know, this is the kitchen. So the kitchen is really a teamwork to do in a professional kitchen. And uh, I'm glad that we can change the life of people to a certain extent by doing what my, my son-in-law is doing. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your, your decades of work. And thank you for just blessing people with your personality. Thank you for having me, and happy cooking. All right. Thanks, Jacques. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for spending this time with us today, Jacques. Jacques Pippin has had a fascinating life, both personally and professionally. Born almost literally in a kitchen, he has been working professionally since he was 13. 
After reaching the pinnacle of his career in Europe, he came to the U.S. and actually turned down a job cooking for JFK in the White House. Instead, he led R&D for the Howard Johnson chain for a decade. And during those years, he completed degrees at Columbia University. He became a ski instructor. He married his beloved Gloria, welcomed his daughter Claudine before a devastating car accident that nearly ended his life, led him to reinvent himself once again. He's an author of 30 books. Lay Technique was published in 1967, dramatically changed the way professional and home cooks went about their task and made his very French name known worldwide. His good looks, his wit, his charm, his talent and encouragement found a place on daytime TV programming and in the hearts of millions. He's a former columnist for the New York Times, and his articles have appeared in countless food magazines. Jacques, his daughter Claudine, his son-in-law Roly, created the Jacques Pepin Foundation in 2016 with the goal of supporting free culinary and life skills training through community-based organizations, helping adults who have high barriers to employment including those who were previously incarcerated, those who were homeless, substance abuse issues, and lack of work history, gained confidence, skills, and employment in food services. His passion, charm, and good looks haven't diminished over his storied 86 years of life, and we are so very privileged to have had this time to spend with him here today on my podcast You can catch up with Jacques Pippin and watch his delightful short cooking videos on his Facebook page. I encourage you to become a member of the Jacques Pippin Foundation. I'm going to. Supporting their mission of helping others attain the skills and confidence to become successful members of the culinary community. There are over 700,000 jobs that need to be filled in culinary arts and reach their full human potential and gaining access to hundreds of recipes and videos along the way if you join their foundation, jp.foundation. Go to the www.jp.foundation to learn more and become a member of this delicious community. I am especially excited that he has a book coming out about chickens, about cooking chickens and about his love for chickens. There are many, many paintings of the chickens that he has painted over the years. If you want to have all of your senses delighted, look into his artwork. He is a very, very talented artist. His artwork is joyful. It dances with color and light and the emotions that the paintings evoke are always just sweet happiness to me anyway. And I love his painting. So a new book to look forward to from Jacques about chickens. Join me on the air, on the radio, and right back here for our next episode of Love Someone. I have to run now because there's meals to be made, mouths to be fed, eggs to be collected. And for some reason, I'm feeling especially inspired to mix up something delicious. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.